0: Welcome to Christians in the Public Square with your hosts, Cole Bennett and Scott Sill.
1: Hey, buddy. How are you today, Scott?
0: Oh, I'm so good. I'm glad to talk to you. Me too. You are a long
1: way away up in the Smoky
0: Mountains. (laughs) It's really smoky too. (laughs) Is that from your newfound barbecue love or is that from... No, I didn't realize that... um, that, that, that the smoky mountains were so well named. I mean, there is always kind of a, not always, but you often see these, you know, this haze that runs through the valley and it does look like smoke and it's beautiful. You know, I grew up, I grew up in Colorado and the thing about the mountains in Colorado is that they're very violent, right? They, they rise, they rise quickly. They fall quickly. The, uh, there are big boulders and the trees are tall and, uh, uh, But everything seems violent, and here the mountains are so gentle, and the weather is gentle, and there's lots of trees and little animals, and it's a very different experience living in the the Smoky Mountains as opposed to the Rocky Mountains.
1: Would you describe it as uh, bucolic and placid?
0: Yeah, the air is so dewy sweet, you don't even have to lick the stamps.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, for our listeners, you guys should know that I've pretty much stayed put while Scott has moved around. Now, I did go to Oxford and back, and Scott stayed here, but we're all just seeing how far we can go and still record a podcast.
0: That's right. We're pushing this to its limits, man.
1: We are. In any case, sacred cows make great barbecue.
0: That's right. Uh, We will scoff at orthodoxy whenever we wish. And I would even say sacred
1: cows make great Tennessee barbecue.
0: Well, yeah. Uh, I think I mentioned this before. They seem to be... Down with the pig over here <laughs> <laughs> But any kind of barbecue We will do that to sacred Yeah, yeah, we'll, yeah any sacred That's right Cook up anything. We also let our flags fr- fly proudly That's right uh, We'll argue vigorously for our point of view As long as we have it And we are always
1: bros before politicos
0: We're brothers first And we figure everything else out
1: well, Scott, what is happening in the world today?
0: Boy, <laughs> that's a loaded question. <laughs> uh, by the time this airs, I don't know, you know, where we'll be. But um, so we're we're recording on July eighth. So this is um, most of the demonstrations related to uh, police violence have subsided. But now we're having a conversation, a national conversation about monuments and their place in our public square. And I think this is a place where we may end up talking about public square and then Christians in the public square afterward. Don't you think? Because yeah, probably so. There's a there's a I, I don't know if I don't know if it makes sense to talk about Christians in the public square until we've kind of hit the public square and almost literally the public square places where we have, uh, erected statues and memorials to individuals and the ideas they represent, uh, you know, in, in, in our public squares and particularly with, in reference to, uh, um, venerating individuals who may have been flawed or may have been terrible. <laughs> right. Right. I know that there are statues to, to people that I just have decided are, don't deserve one and they should come down. Um, so before we talk about, before we talk about which statues are coming down or should come down, I want to talk a little bit about statues and from yeah. a positive point of view, cause you're going to hear me talk some, uh, pretty negatively about it later on. And Cole, that is, uh, a moment in my own, my own life that I thought was just, uh, so powerful. And so uh, touching and made me so proud to be an American. And that is when I was in Washington, D.C. I was there for a conference and I had some free time. So I went to the Holocaust Museum. Um, I went through, it took, took about three hours for me to go through the museum. And it turns out I had the flu. I didn't know at the time that I had the flu. I didn't know why this was happening. But I came outside from the Holocaust Museum and I threw up all over the sidewalk my, my emotions were a wreck. I was, I had chills and I was, uh, I felt close to tears just by the experience, but also cause I had the flu. Mm-hmm. I'm not the most emotionally intelligent person you've ever met. So I don't know always what I'm feeling, but I, I knew I was not, not good. Um, I threw up on the sidewalk. Sorry about that visual, but you you walk out of the shadow of that building and there you are at the base of the Washington monument. And the thing I love about the Washington monument is that it's not a statue of Washington. It's an idea. And my understanding, and this may be apocryphal, but my understanding is that this monument was done as an obelisk because Washington is an idea much bigger than an individual. Hmm. And how different that was from a Fuhrer, right? How different that was from a, a maniac who was all about his, himself and his own, um, his own power in the Reich. And seeing that juxtaposition, it was a moment of pride that I, was, I felt so grateful to be a part of. And I, I tell you that to say, I think that there is value in thinking about the way as uh, as a public, we um, craft our identity and think about our identity. And I know that this is—I've sat in a class that you teach about American identity and the way that art and literature uh, are kind of inexorably linked to our history and the way we think about who we are um, in in our architecture and our art. And I wonder if you have anything you know to add as you think about. The way we have crafted our own identity through monuments, through statues and those kinds of things in our public squares. I do.
1: I think what we one of the biggest lessons we can take from the time this country was founded to 2020 is that we are a gigantic nation and we are full of a gigantic diversity of people. So it it might make sense in the beginning years of a country to say hey this is who we are and if we look around the room almost everyone agrees with that statement of who we are so putting up statues and putting up monuments is not something that we have to um hash out and and beat each other up and try to really get down to votes and straw polls and i mean we are a small group of people with this big piece of land that is at the moment not very in, uh, populated. Mm. And so deciding what kind of monuments collect our thoughts and feelings is not difficult. But in 2020, uh, you know, we've had good grief, Western expansion. We've had uh, civil war. We've had all kinds of wars with. Um, The rest of the world and military movements or military encounters when they're not called wars we're just we are a very different nation to try to all agree on who should be lifted up and praised and representative of this nation
0: i know these things are changing across the globe as as the as you know the world becomes increasingly globalized but historically you know, if you think about what it means to be French, it's ethnic as well as national right i mean th- there there's always an ethnicity tied to it and that's one of the great shifts of um of the modern world and I've been saying over the last three hundred years is that we've moved away from uh- writ large we've moved away from these identities of nations and nation states by ethnicity or by ethnic group or by racial group and uh and you know the United States is a is kind of the the first real experiment because being american is uh is is an association with a set of ideas not right. with not with a particular race right well uh, ideally
1: uh, and let me just add to your list. A moment ago, you said tied to uh, ethnicity, tied to race. What did you say? It's, yeah,
0: but also uh, language.
1: Well, but I would say that we have to add a closely held culture. It used to be tied in, uh, in any geographic location. You could tie it to a closely held culture, but our country is just too large even in France and England, which are geographically much smaller and where the where col- closely held culture is being challenged, you still have um, cultural icons that are not questioned, right? As much, but in the United States, every single thing is
0: questioned. Sure. Yeah. And I think a lot of that has to, yeah, exactly. It has to do with the fact that we don't share that there's not an American culture. There are American cultures, right? Right. But that's true from our infancy. It's not in our infancy. We had, um, I mean so much of what happens in the civil war, uh, stems from a way back earlier, even at the time of the declaration of independence where folks in the South Uh, who are oftentimes associated with the Anglican church had a very different point of view than many of the German folk and the, um, you know, the Calvinist folk in the, in the North, those, there were differences. There were differences from day one regionally, even as we started. And so the idea that, that we built a nation that centered around a, a set of ideas, a concept of liberty is unique. It's unique in that we were formed around an idea rather than around an ethnicity or around a culture or around a language. We were formed around an idea. And in fact, there's some literature that, that some, some research that shows that that is the one unifying factor. You look at any single subculture in the United States and they will identify liberty as a fundamental value. Hmm. And uh, and that's the one thing that's unique, uniquely uh, connects all of us uh, is this um, association with the concept of liberty and the value of liberty. And so working out what that means is a very different paradigm than working out what it means to be French. I'm picking on the French, but you see what I mean.
1: Sure, sure, sure. And I would add to that. That it's the reason that America is called the great experiment is because we were not attached to a religion or to an ethnicity, even though some people might say we were well that. We might as well have been, but that's arguable.
0: But, or that, right. Or later that we should have been right. Because there were, yeah, because there are others and, and this will come back into the discussion of some of our monuments. There were people who were asserting uh, that it should be white. Right. Right.
1: Right. So it, that's why we are, uh, referred to as a great experiment you know it's funny I'm thinking now my field um, my academic field which is English with a subgroup of composition and rhetoric um we are still having it but a humongous discussion started happening in the 1980s that has that sort of um held sway over the literature in the 90s and the 2000s and that is a close study of the term literacy. What does it mean for people to be literate? What does it mean to teach literacy? What does it mean to assess or test pupils for literacy? And <laughs> it be, it's, it's quite contentious. And one of the authors who comes up as a person to really um, anger academics is E.D. Hirsch Jr., a person I'm sure that you're familiar with, Scott whose book uh, Cultural Literacy in the 80s was trying to make the argument that uh, we are such a diverse country and we are moving so quickly that one of the things we should absolutely teach in schools is this shared knowledge of what Western literacy is. And Hirsch even goes on to make lists of certain authors that you and I would recognize as canonical authors and certain, I don't know, foods and certain things that he is arguing. These are the things that we we need to hold on to to hold us together because we are so diverse. And as you can imagine, his book came under enormous criticism from people who said, Essentially, Hirsch is saying we should all be white men, and you know that's arguable. But his point was: look at how diverse we are. Soon, if we don't hold on to some kind of a shared culture, it's going to become very difficult. And I, I think that was prophetic in some ways.
0: Yeah, I think it is. It, it definitely, uh, it definitely lends itself to a conversation about what what it should look like. Right. One other thing I want to unpack before we go deeper into the discussion of monuments in the public square is not only the history of our own identity as Americans and the challenge that that's related to that, but also the reality that the American experiment itself has gone through. Uh, I think we sometimes anachronistically look at something like the founding fathers and assume that the founding fathers that we have some connection to that, that is not, that does not involve the civil war. And I think that's an unfair treatment of the arc of history. Here's what I mean, that the, um, the founder said that all men are created equal. They did not understand what they meant by those words. Otherwise, slavery would have been abolished in the Constitution. Do you agree with me? I mean, that they didn't fully understand what they meant by those words.
1: Yes, or they did not define men the way we
0: would. Also true. Yeah. Uh, But that they might not have. Apparently, they kicked the can down the road when it comes to the question of of slavery and and whether slavery was should be a part of should be a part of who we are. Mm -hmm. And by kicking the can down the road. I think that it is only fair to note that the decisions about who we became as Americans were made by white men. They did not go and poll the slaves to ask what they think about what we're doing. Correct? Correct. They, they did not ask the Native Americans if they were tickled with our, with our plans. That's right. Um, and so there are some kind of assumptions that are baked in that by the time we get to the civil war, we're going to have to work out whether slavery is something that can we be a nation and have slaves. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh,
0: and by the way, just so we're clear, Abraham Lincoln did say, if I could keep the country together without fleeing the freeing the slaves, I would do it. That was where he stood before the emancipation proclamation. Mm-hmm. So um, the, the idea was building a nation, not so much making sure that we have an egalitarian society. That was not really it, well, egalitarian may have been defined for white folks, but not necessarily even for, for white women, but for white men. And the reason I want to point this out, Cole, is I think we sometimes look at, I think it's possible that we look at the founding fathers and judge them uh, for their inability to see fully what it means for all men to be created equal, what it means for all people to be created equal. And not recognize that history had to figure that out. We had to figure that out as a people.
1: As We had to work. Hmm? The the West had to figure that out.
0: Sure. Yeah. It was not just America. It was the West. Mm -hmm. It is hard. It is hard for someone in 2020 to imagine Thomas Jefferson owning slaves, George Washington owning slaves. It is hard to imagine how could these be good people? If they did such a terrible evil, mm-hmm. if they engaged in that terrible evil, and I think that morality has been socially constructed. Our understanding of what is right and wrong has been socially constructed and has socially evolved. Um, it's only fair for us to note that I'm not saying, therefore, that they should be off the hook, but I am saying it is anac- anachronistic to assume that Jefferson should have known better.
1: Yes, it is anachronistic to apply twenty twenty moral codes to the seventeen hundreds.
0: Yeah, and I think that's going to be important as we parse out what are these monuments and why, and should they come down, and why should they come down.
1: And you, if right. I could just say, if I could just say this, this might get me into hot water, and I don't mean for it to, but there is also if you there's also a way to frame the emergence of the. British colonial revolt against Britain that formed the new country of America as a watershed moment that changed and that changed the West and created the conditions under which slavery was no longer seen as morally acceptable. I mean, it's, it's not an overnight process and we, we should, anytime we talk about how um, humankind went from one moment of seeing slavery as being acceptable and desirable to slavery being uh, horrible and undesirable. That did not happen overnight, and it only happened because a historical context changed. And and there are ways to frame history and our understanding of history that can give rise to appreciation of that moment.
0: Uh, that maybe, maybe. I, I would say back to you though, that the United States was late to the game of emancipation. I mean, there were emancipation discussions going on in the, in the, in Europe, emancipations happening in the you know 18th century. Well, America only had a handful of- people. No, I'm just saying we could have figured it out then. We could have said we we're going to deal with that now, yeah. right? We, we waited, we kicked the can down the road. And the other thing about it is we kicked the can down the road because it was an economic vi- It was economically viable for the South.
1: Absolutely. American South. I will not right. pretend otherwise. Uh-
0: so I, I don't know that, I don't know that, you know, they get a pass from me just because it was of a time The at the time, emancipation is happening all over Europe. And there is every reason for the American experiment to consider emancipation as a part of its foundation and the, and, the, and we didn't, we could have, and we didn't, there was the conversation was happening and it, and we did not pick up that part of the conversation. not all of us picked up that part of the conversation. And in fact, part of the, part of what my understanding of part of what happens with uh, uh, bringing together 13 colonies is you don't get 13 colonies and emancipation. So, in order to bring together a group of colonies that will rebel against England, you're going to have to have slavery to do it. In order to bring the South Southern colonies in,
1: okay, I've that is very interesting. I I'm not well versed enough in the history to know.
0: Yeah, and and my point being, I'm not arguing. I want, I want to be. I'm 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 trying to to thread a very 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 thin needle here. <laughs> the difference between excusing the founding fathers, I don't think it's fair to excuse them. But I also don't think it's, I mean, it's not fair to say it's, well, they were men of a time. They could be good men and have slaves. They should have known better. But on the other hand, we, we don't have the lens. It's not available to us to look back and see the kinds of the kinds of decisions that people are making and judge them, I think accurately. Okay. And the reason I, the reason I think that's important is there is a distinction for me and I'm speaking just for Scott, I don't know where you are, but there is a distinction between, between for me of having a statute to Thomas Jefferson or to George Washington and having a statute to general Lee or to Nathan Bedford Ford or even better yet, to David Duke. And I'm I'm bringing up David Duke for a reason. I'll, I'll kind of unpack that. There are, I think that there are reasons for bringing Memorial to the public square. And I, as a virtue ethicist, I'm always interested in what are the motivations for a decision, not so much whether the decision is right or wrong, but why did you choose to do it? And that's where I come back to my story about coming out of the Holocaust museum and seeing that obelisk is I was confronted with a narrative, with a story that I feel is motive that, that calls me to the angels of my better nature that call me to a belief in a belief in this idea of Liberty and this idea that, that no man is, uh, is above this concept of, liberty and, and gets to own this idea of liberty. But in fact, the great American experiment is what saves us from other outcomes like the Reich and, and totalitarianism. That's a very, very different thing than looking at a statue of Nathan Bedford Ford, who was the first grand wizard of the KKK. I don't know what value, let's just say that statue is erected Right after Ford dies, right? I don't know what the motivation for that is, and I'm suspicious about it. I'm really suspicious about it when it comes uh, in the post-Reconstruction South, when, when new Jim Crow laws are also being imposed upon, uh, our black, black and Brown neighbors, specifically our black, black neighbors. And we're figuring out ways, uh, uh, to ensure that we're keeping entire races down by public policy. And Oh, by the way, we also have a statue of Nathan Bedford Ford. To me, that feels like making a statue to David Duke mm-hmm. because it has the same motivation.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So when, When we talk about Confederate uh, statues, for example, most of the Confederate statues in the South were erected between uh, 1911 and 1970, not right after the Civil War, but most of them are going back and pulling these heroes, quote unquote, heroes of the Confederate South back into the public square and the argument has been, it's an attempt to actually assert white supremacy, that these are our white supremacy heroes and we're making, we're making them into something other than they were. I'm not, uh, I'm not even sure Lee belongs there. I'm not sure that a statue to Lee is doing what, um, what somebody who might defend it believes it's doing. I think it, I think it was, I think the motivation was to try and establish, um, a, a culture of white supremacy. Okay. So when I see someone interested in taking down a monument, to me, I can parse out a difference between a monument that is erected in praise of white supremacy, like a Confederate monument, and a monument that is erected in praise of the idea of liberty, even if the person might have been imperfect. That to me seems like a different conversation. Mm Mm-hmm. They seem, they seem different to me. And, uh, at the risk of th- this is okay. This is me flying a flag really high and <laughs> really, a really big one. The Confederates were traitors. How do you like them apples? Uh, those you are don't them like apples. them. Those You're a Southerner. You don't like it. I'm living in the South now and I'm telling you it's, it, that was a, that was an, an act of secession, they seceded from the from the union to form a new union and they failed. and They lost. And I don't know that that should be venerated. I think the only reason for venerating it is not cultural. I think it is white supremacy. OK, so I think those monuments ought to come down and I'm happy people are doing it. That's where I was going.
1: And you bought a chainsaw to help them. Um, uh, <laughs> you bought a chain and a winch on your truck and you're, you're there to help them.
0: Yeah. Listen, they're taking them down because we, as the public have failed to do so.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. I should have, I should have been a part of it. I should have elected officials in my local government who would make sure that they were gone. I don't know of a single, do you know of any military installation named after Benedict Arnold? I don't think so. We don't have any statues for him around our country and nor should we. Because he was a traitor, <laughs> just I'm just categorizing a whole bunch of other Ameri- uh, people who are Americans and then seceded from the country into that same category. I think that we need to do a very, very better, do a much better job of thinking about what values we want represented in our public square, other than culture. Because as we started with this whole thing, we're not a single culture, and your Southern culture is not uh, a unified, singular culture. There was a supreme culture, and it superseded other cultures, and that was wrong, and we ended up fighting a war over it.
1: So let me fly my flag, and that'll get us to the other part of the podcast we want to address today. Super. I th- super. Super. I think you have well articulated your argument, and I am going to drop a bomb on the whole thing. OK, go. Cool. OK. First of all, I would appreciate it if you would refer to the war as the war of northern aggression.
0: I know you would. And that's the, the north did not force the south <laughs> to secede. The, the south chose to secede. And so you can't have it that way.
1: <laughs> I just like to say that with a straight okay. face. In, in <laughs> meetings, that's really <laughs> the fun place to do it. And <laughs> OK, the the bomb I'm going to drop is that you can't... The the very argument you're making is my evidence that we should never use public funds to put a statue on public property. Period. Because I think it is a horrible waste of time and a giant infringement on liberty to try to discern motivations. I could erect a statue of Robert E. Lee or David Duke in my front yard. And I don't care if you know my motivation or not. He could be my brother. He could be um, a guy who I think was a great swing dancer. And I want to put a a statue of him in my yard. And if you don't like it, then it doesn't matter. You're not going to pull it down or I will file charges of property damage. I So your point about, hey, Whatever goes in the public square is okay as long as I think the motivations are good enough or a committee that I'm on or the town that I live in or the public works committee or the whoever it is, if we all agree that the motivation was appropriate. To me, that is exactly the evidence that a libertarian uses to say, if you think a statue should go up, Put it in your own yard or erect a museum on private property and go nuts.
0: Wait, 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 wait. So when you go to Washington, D.C. and you stand in front of the Lincoln Memorial, you see no value in terms of using public funds to create that monument. You see no value in that message in the... And the way that the architecture calls us to the angels, literally to the angels of our better nature, when you're talking about Lincoln Monument, you don't see any value there. You'd, I mean, not enough to support using public funds to build that monument. I
1: like the, the music that is played between breaks on NPR. I think it's catchy. That doesn't mean I think NPR is an appropriate
0: expenditure of public no, money. No, 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 no. You don't get away with that. Here's the thing. as I, I did not say catchy or pretty. I say, I'm, I'm talking you I'm talking to uh, an English major. Okay. There is value. There is messaging. There is
1: no amount of value or messaging or calling people to the better angels of their nature is appropriate to spend public funds to put up statues on public property.
0: So when you go visit them, you just visit them because you already own them because you already pro- contributed. But we shouldn't do more. Correct. What about, okay, let me, let me go one, let me uh, take that one, one step further. What about for like war memorials where we remember our, our dead uh, from, for example, from Vietnam?
1: If you're interested in remembering the dead from Vietnam, then form a 501c3 or not even that, not even a tax de, uh, tax deductible. Form a private company, solicit donations and put up a memorial on your property. Okay, and and you know what? Not only you will might I contribute to visit, that. Not only will I come and visit it, but I will pay for a ticket price, and I'll help yeah. contribute it. I got you. Okay, because okay. otherwise, Scott, Otherwise, you know what we're doing? We're trying to discern motivations, and that is a futile effort as far as a libertarian is concerned.
0: No, dude, you're um, the, the. You know, I'm arguing and arguing, but the, I know you're right. You're right. It is impossible. I mean, that's what we end up doing is uh, we reinterpret, you know, what were, was Jefferson intentionally white supremacist or was he accidentally white supremacist? Right. And in that case, should his monument come down or should it stay up? What's the difference between the Washington monument that's an obelisk and the Washington monument that's in, uh, uh, New York city. And should the New York city one be taken down? Is it right? We, right. You end up having these different conversations, right?
1: Right. And it goes round and round and people argue about motivations. And that's just a no-win situation. So the solution is for people to um, venerate or place remembrances of people or events on their own private property. And they okay. can either let people come onto their property and enjoy it or mm-hmm. protest it or whatever. Uh, they can charge money or not. But they don't get to destroy my property. So let's talk about, are you ready to pivot to the specific case?
0: No. Just before we do, I want to point out that yours is not the conservative position, but it is the, the libertarian position.
1: Articulate quickly the conservative opinion.
0: I think the assert, the conservative opinion is these are our monuments. They have been our monuments, so they should stay our monuments. Right. 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 What you're saying is, we should not have monuments in the public squ- that are fundi- fund, publicly funded in the public square.
1: Right. And let me articulate part B of the conservative position. These men fought and died in a war. The fact that it was a Confederate war, the fact that they were secessionists who were trying to, um, some would say, oppose state. That are stick up for states' rights, and others would say that was just a farce. It was all about slavery, but for whatever reason they were fighting against uh, federal control of their of certain areas of their state. The fact that they fought and died in a war means that a statue is appropriate. That's the other part of the conservative position.
0: Would't you agree? Mm, th- well I would agree that that's their argument, yeah. yeah,
1: yes, wouldn't you agree that that's their argument? yeah, okay so uh recently. Harding University in Searcy, Arkansas, which is my alma mater, has had a flare-up of opinions of uh, concerning the naming of a building that has been named uh, since it was erected. It is the largest single-purpose auditorium west of the Mississippi River. Did you know that, Scott?
0: I did not know that.
1: Yes, it is It is used as an auditorium only with all the seats facing forward, and it is called the Benson Auditorium, named after George S. Benson, who was president of Harding uh, during the early modern era, I say early modern, even up through the part of the 60s, and uh, it, it would take the rest of this program to articulate the influence that he had on the university. He helped pay off the mortgages. He helped it gain national recognition via political exposure and so forth. Um, So George S. Benson was a pivotal figure to Harding's history, and it was named the Benson Auditorium. Recently, there has been um, a lot of uh, several voices on campus um, who have challenged the naming of this building and called attention to the fact that people who are African-American who attend chapel in that building are attending chapel in a place named after a man who had plenty to say, was quite vocal during his time about the separation of the races being appropriate. Now, I don't have a list of quotations of Dr. Benson and what he said about, but it's, it, is a, it is not disputed. That he had um, segregationist attitudes toward the races,
0: and enforced those in in Harding policy, correct. and tried to tried to maintain them through the through the change.
1: That's correct. Right, and it's I think it's fair to say that he did not quote unquote hate black people because of all the work he did in Zambia as a missionary, but he had clear views about whether black Americans should attend a university with white Americans. Is that pretty fair, do you think?
0: I think it's very fair, yeah.
1: Okay. And so there was a time of discernment where the administration took up this issue and a few weeks ago, on the date of this podcast a few weeks ago, announced that um, they had decided to keep the name of the Benson Auditorium the same. And uh, their, their rationale is articulated on the, on the Harding Facebook page. But part of the rationale was um, any person whose name appears on a building was is not a, held up as a perfect person. And there are people in the Bible who did terrible things, but who were mentioned later for their great faith. Um, and that George Benson's attitude toward integration of faith of races of students changed in his lifetime. And so they were going to keep the building the same. And of course there was, uh, there was a lot of pushback on that for a number of reasons, including people who speculated that the reason George Benson changed his mind is because federal funding became part of the mix. And Scott knows more about that than I do about the federal funding. Was it 1968,
0: Scott? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So they. Yeah, the the shift is with Department of Education, funding becomes at, it comes at risk uh, if you uh, choose as a, an institution of higher education to continue um, segregation policy, then you could risk the loss of Title IV funds. And this was actually, we talked about this in a previous episode, this was actually the emergence then of the Christian right. Was in this, in this, Oral Roberts University and some others that uh, were fighting um, the Department of Education on the policy of enforcing uh, integration. Of course, um, Brown v. Board of Education was about public education. And at this point, we're talking about even private institutions that are receiving federal funds in the terms of, in forms of uh, uh, student loans or federal grants or, Like, I don't know if Pell Grants existed at the time, but even federal grants, you know, for research and that kind of thing.
1: That's right. So if your university, even though it was private, was getting any public funds, you were subject to this rule in the late 1960s. And a lot of um, a lot of critics who wanted the name Benson changed uh, were saying this was the only reason. So they were speculating on the motivation, which is kind of where we started as we talked about this. And the final the final thing I'll say about this Harding situation is that the the nationally um, publicized news event of the police shooting in Dallas, Texas, of Botham Jean, I think I'm it's probably Botham Jean. I, I don't know how, if I'm saying it correctly. Botham Jean was from Harding. He was a student there, and the students who were objecting to the Benson Auditorium name were suggesting that they rename it uh, after this young man, and so in the in the declaration of a a way forward, the administration at Harding said there will be a statue created of Botham Jean that will go on campus to be venerated as the people were suggesting. It just won't be the name of the auditorium, so. We're back to a discussion of whom do we venerate, and I think Scott has some opinions on that.
0: I do. I, first, I want to note uh, my criticism of the decision. It did not just say the decision was not just that. Um, folks like Benson uh, are complex, and it's hard to judge. You know that that they're good and bad, and they're complex people. That was part of the argument. Part of the other. The other part of the argument was that most people who signed the petition, I think it was at change.org, found out about Benson from the petition. And so the argument was that they were latecomers to the outrage. And so they don't deserve to be outraged, which I think was very dismissive of many of your uh, fellow alumni uh, who knew knew the story and uh, who were a big part of that that push. And um, so that was a criticism I had of the decision. The other part of the criticism I had was um, it seems to me that this was an attempt to split the baby. That's a Solomon reference. It's an attempt to split the baby and uh, without really asking uh, some deeper and more important questions about what we're doing in Christian higher education specifically, And when when you brought this up, I I said, well, I'm going to get very, very Quaker in this discussion (laughs) um, because I don't understand why we are naming buildings on Christian campuses after people, after donors. I mean, I do understand you're naming them after donors uh, or after people whom the donors want to venerate because that's who pays for the buildings, So if I have a big group of people who get together and we want to name the building after a past president, that's what we decided to give our money to. And that's how you get the money. And so you take the money and you name the building appropriately. Or if I want my name on it, I say, hey, I'm going to give you a billion dollars to build a science building. It'll be called the self-science building. And uh, you'll get the money if you agree. Uh, And so that becomes a kind of mode of philanthropy. By the way, that's the mode of philanthropy that happens across the country and all higher ed and all, this is not just in the United States. The Cardinal Wolsey, uh, started Wolsey college with his own, the money that he, uh, uh, kind of stole from Henry VIII, or at least that's what Henry VIII accused him of and starts his, starts a college. Wolsey college owns his name, right? Has his name on, on, on the college. And so that, uh, that approach to, uh, philanthropy is a time old tradition of higher education. And I just wish we could have a conversation about it. I just wish that we could think structurally and critically about why we are venerating individuals. Because I think that we're, I think we're coming up against a consistent problem when it comes to um, the ways that Christians act in the public square. I'm always concerned when Christians are interested in, and I'm using that word venerated on purpose, when we turn people into saints uh, and celebrate them, we're, we're engaging in something that is fundamentally dangerous. And also I believe has the, has the um, unfortunate consequence of losing the sense of who Christ is and what it means to own his name. There's a scene in Revelation where at the, at the very end is the, the, the throne scene at the end of Revelation um, where everyone is worshiping and Christ is there. The, the, river, is, the river of life is, is flowing and uh, his name is written on their foreheads. And I love that scene. My last name is Self, and I look forward to the day when I am no longer myself, when, my, when his name is written on my forehead instead of my own. And there is something fundamentally uh, and theologically Christian about deciding that Christ owns this, not us. Christ owns that building and that his name belongs on it, not Benson's not both of genes, not anyone's Christ's name or Christ's virtue belongs on that building. I would love to see Christian campuses figure out ways to rename their buildings instead of after people, after ideas, after concepts, after fruits of the spirit, uh, aspirations, things that we want to become not people. Um, but, but what it means to be Christian should be venerated. And I, I, I just want to put out there that I think we're missing an opportunity to have a conversation about whether anybody's name ought to be on a building.
1: So instead of the the self science building, it might be the hope science building and the, right. the glory liberal arts building and the what? the
0: Yeah, you could, you could start with the seven. Yeah, you could start with the the fruits of the spirit if you want. Love, joy, peace, patience, kind. I like to go to the kindness building now.
1: I had a test in the patience building today, and I got <laughs> killed.
0: And I got no joy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, I, I don't want to interrupt you, but I have some things to say. So, go ahead. Ben. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna push back a little bit. Can you imagine that? <laughs> 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 I'm going to push back in this way. First of all, your explanation of how buildings get named on college campuses is very cynical. And you may call me naive, which you've done before. I'm prepared for it. I have buckled up for you to say, Cole, you're so naive. But I, I, just, I think it does absolutely happen like that sometimes. But I think There's plenty of times when people say, you know, this is going to be named for our third president who was president of this university from 1890 to 1910. This dining hall over here is going to be named for the person who, you know, started a certain kind of research at this university and put our got our name on the map. Uh, And this I just I think there are many times when people get together and a name seems like an obvious good choice for reasons other than they donated money, because I, I think that's a common place for people to go because of the filthiness associated with the, with mammon. Yeah.
0: You know? no, that's, that's, you know, cause you know, for our university, the university you and I work at, uh, and is my alma mater, our recreation center is named after my favorite, one of my favorite people in the universe. Mm-hmm. And I'm, if, if I got to go to a building named after a person, I'm glad it's named after him. So I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to come off cynical. And I know I do. If you, if you come off as naive and Pollyannish, uh, I come off as cynical and dark, but. Um, I wasn't quite through. Let me just finish that thought. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry.
1: That's I-, okay. I just think at the end of the day, A universe, which people hate that expression at the end of the day, Um, in general, it's just not the high stakes decision that people sometimes portray it as. A university, even a private Christian university, is not the same as the church, it doesn't have the same mission as just the church. And that might be arguable. The church is the people. I understand all that. But we are, to name a building after someone who was important at the university, to me, is not a high stakes decision. And I think people sometimes make things high stakes.
0: Oh, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. We're putting too much into it. Yes. Yes. Well, you know, there's an argument for that. (laughs) Uh, I don't know what, uh, you know, think about the think about our campus. I don't know who, I don't know how many buildings there are, but I don't know who 19 out of 20 of those buildings are named after. I don't even know who they are, whether they're a president or a contributor, or I don't know what the story is. I'm not reading the plaque. I'm just going in there to to go to a meeting. <laughs> <You know? laughs> maybe, maybe we do put, we, we make it sound like I've got to sit in this room that um, John Smith it's named after John Smith, and John Smith was such a terrible person. Like, I know who he was. It's this John Smith building. Yeah. I can hear that, Cole. Yeah. I, can, I can hear that we sometimes maybe get too sensitive about uh, the naming of— that, that, for example, that the Benson building is not— the motivation is not to perpetuate white supremacy on the Harding campus.
1: Right. Right.
0: Or even to perpetuate Benson, really. It just becomes a name. Right. Um, I just, I do think that uh, this is where, it's always the same thing with me. I I think we always end up asking, I'm always saying we're asking the wrong question. But fundamentally, I feel comfortable with having that same, singing that same song over and over again, just because I think we're supposed to be asking different questions. I think we're supposed to be asking different questions of ourselves and the way we exist in the public square. And I would like to challenge my fellow Christians to think about whether we're venerating people or whether we're venerating ideas and how do we make the distinction between the two? Because I don't know that it's right to venerate people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and- I, I know of one instance in Scripture where where Jesus um, venerates or not venerates, but he does, uh, he does say about Peter that he changes his name and he says on this, on this name, I'm going to build my church. That seems pretty important. So I don't want to just throw out there that, that, uh, you know, naming is not important, but he changes his name to rock. (laughs) And that is an idea. Yeah. And I think there's something precious in, thinking about naming a person after an idea as opposed to after um, it doesn't venerate Peter. it venerates this idea of cornerstone or foundation or rock.
1: right. yeah that I do think that is a a um a unique and provocative way. To go forward and think in thinking about that, and if I am to take my own words seriously, if I am to truly believe that the naming of a building is low stakes, then I should I should be able to think about uh, changing it in ways that seem better than venerating humans when that becomes problematic.
0: Yeah, I, I, yeah because I think at the end of the day, if, well, there I said it, but at it. the end of the day, if, if you come out of the Holocaust Museum and you stand at the base of someplace and it instills within you this pride and liberty, then the monument has done its job, regardless of its motivation, it's done its job. If it's made you, if it's awakened you to the value of our values, then it's done its job. Um, if it makes you aware of that this person was president of our university for a time, I don't know. I, for me, at at best, at best, I can ignore it. <laughs> but but at worst, it seems uh, it seems like we're doing something that we might want to rethink. It's worth thinking about.